for those of you who follow basketball, especially college basketball, you will recognize this sportscaster. I've told the backstory a few times of Grant Hill. Uh, you might recognize that name as well. Um, when I was in high school, we had a very highly regarded regional varsity basketball squad, always performed well, well-respected. There were certain times in the afternoon that the varsity squad had dibs on the gym to practice. Only the varsity squad was there. Everybody else was basically kicked out. It was just a known thing, except for one day. A little middle schooler showed up, unannounced, from across the street. He said he wanted to play. Uh, the squad looked at him and said, um, do you know who we are? No, you may not play. Grant persisted. Grant played. And from that moment on, nobody questioned whether or not Grant belonged on the court anywhere. You might know that, uh, well, for South Lakes High School, he won the district championship for us on an alley-oop at the buzzer. Won two national championships at Duke. Went on to be a very well-regarded NBA player. And it all started with a tour de force that afternoon in a high school gym where he proved himself. Now, in the same way that Grant put on that display, Paul, the apostle led by the Holy Spirit, presents an unstoppable apologetic a teaching of who Jesus Christ truly is. It is indeed a tour de force. It is a passage that you do well to be well familiar with. It is one that we are spending multiple weeks on for that very reason. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we mean it. It is explicit in Scripture. Last week, we examined Paul's astounding statement that Christ is the image of the invisible God. To see Jesus is to see the Father. He is the firstborn over all creation, meaning he is the rightful heir of all things. Such particular sayings about Christ to make sure there is no misunderstanding about what Paul means, he then went on to say that all things were created by Christ. This morning we'll walk through the truths as we lead up to communion this morning. We'll walk through the other truths about Christ that all leave a stunning picture of who Jesus Christ is. It answers a question, by the way. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6, it answers that question. How could he possibly say that? It is because Jesus is like none other. He has no peer and he has no rival. He is God. So let's read our text this morning, which you're familiar with by now. Colossians chapter 1. We'll read verse 15 through 20. 
We're going to tackle the middle portion this morning. Speaking of Christ, he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." Having read that again, I hope you see why we're not rushing through this. Paul is very clear to say that Jesus is the creator. Unmistakable language, particularly for Jews who know full well that there is one God who made everything around us. If Jesus made everything, Jesus is God. This also stands in opposition to the pagan religions of the day. And also as well to the newer phenomenon that we called, that we call atheism. But what he says about creation is worth pointing out. Creation is not just the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the birds, and the trees, and the mountains, and all that we see. It is what we see with our eyes, and it is what we do not see with the naked eye. Consider the vast expanse of the universe. So much of it is relatively unknown to us. We're down to the cell level and even smaller. Now we're capable of seeing things that a century ago or so no one even knew were there. But so much passes our view on a daily basis. Or the Mariana Trench, the deepest part of the ocean. So much that we don't know. Christ is the creator of it all. He is the one who created rulers and thrones throughout history. Paul says, all things were created by him and for him. Remember, scripture says he is the heir of all things. Let us pause for a moment for this beautiful quote from Charles Spurgeon. But if there be one name sweeter than another in the believer's ear, it is the name of Jesus. Jesus. It is the name which moves the harps of heaven to melody. Jesus, the life of all of our joys. That's from the 1800s in London. Not only did he make all things, Paul says, but he is before all things. Could he possibly be more clear than this? Before him, there was nothing. Because he is God. 
Scripture says that in the beginning, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. Well, Christ was before that. But there's more. Paul goes on to say that in him all things hold together. He created everything and he holds everything together. Without his supernatural superintendence, everything would fall apart. He is the one who has put into place the laws of nature and so forth. There is no mistaking who Jesus Christ is. So remember we said that Paul is writing these things about Christ in relation to different things or different people, if I can say that. In relation to creation, I'm sorry, in relation to God himself, we see that Jesus is God. The mystery of the Trinity He is the image of the invisible God. He reveals God to us because he took on human form. In relation to creation, he is before all things. He made all things. And in him, all things hold together. It is all in place by him and for him. There could not be a stronger apologetic, a stronger teaching for who Jesus Christ truly is. Is It is unmistakable. It is a tour de force to show that without any question, Jesus is better than all the prophets, better than the angels, as Hebrews says, better and greater than any man or woman that has walked the face of the earth. And that's why it is no stretch for Jesus himself to say, I am the way, the truth, the life. It is no stretch for Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, to stand, Acts chapter 4, and say there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. To begin with, you must be saved. And he is the only way. He is the only one. There is no one who is like him. He stands alone. Many would presume to point us to God. Christ is God who has come down to us. Now, fellow Christian, I want to show you something. We're taking time in this passage to understand who Christ truly is. But let our minds not get lost or stuck In abstract thoughts, if you will, of theology. Because theology is never designed just to be head knowledge. It is knowledge in the head that fuels the heart, that fuels how we live. Remember that Paul at this point is positioning the Colossians to know the truth. To think rightly about Jesus Christ. We don't just add Jesus to our collection of trophies and interests and affections. He is, as Colossians will say, our very life. Paul is building a strong foundation for us, a strong position. Later, he will get to the part about progressing as we walk and follow Jesus. 
But let's take a peek a little bit later in Colossians at a well-known verse. Emily has already read it for us. Colossians chapter 3. As you're processing and hearing and reading about who Jesus Christ is, remember the good word in relation to him. Whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Have you heard that verse before? It's a great one. But now you know a little bit better about his context. He's saying that in the context of having just explained explicitly who Christ is. He shows a lot of time showing us just how great Jesus is. Showing us that he is worthy of our worship because of who he is. He literally made everything around us that we see and even that which we don't see. It is not just religious sentiment. Our very lives belong to him. Everything, big and small, in our lives belongs to him. God himself rescued us and gave us hope. How can we possibly be half-hearted about our walk with Christ? How can we be anything but red-hot, as Romans 12 says, in serving the Lord? In the next couple of weeks, you'll hear a little bit about one of our ministry partners in the Balkans. Clay and Ruth and their family, which we had the joy of sending out uh, from our midst. I mentioned recently I enjoy following uh, their travel basketball team that their boys play on. And I'm just telling you, they essentially mop the floor with a competition. They have recently uh, played in a European conference and they took it all in Hungary. Very fun. To follow them. But here's the thing. They will be the first to tell you. By the way, that's their son, their older son, Peter, and Daniel was before that. Uh, They will be the first to tell you that everything they do on the court, in their hearts, they're doing it for his glory. No matter what it is, our hobbies, our families, our Christian service, our fine arts, our athletic pursuits, all of it. Do it all for God's glory. We serve a mighty Savior. Give Him your best. But there's more. There's actually more. And it is more glorious, more worthy than we could ever possibly imagine. There's a subtle Shift now that Paul will take as he continues to tell us about Christ. It has to do with what we see in place now and the new creation that God is creating by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We know that all of scripture hinges upon the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes on to say, Jesus is all of this and, and he is the head of the church. He's the top. He's the reason that we exist and the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is our leader. Think of your head. Let's be honest. What does it do? It controls the entire body. Executive functioning, reason, mobility, skill, everything. You can live without, a, without an arm or a leg, but you can't live without your head. In relation to the church, Jesus is the boss. He is number one. Remember, we, pa- we referenced Pastor Evans' kingdom agenda. That is most visible when we live under the lordship of Christ and we grow in obedience in all areas of our life to him. Jesus is Lord. He bought us with his own blood. He is the Lord of his church. Look at this quote. This is from the 1600s. I was reminded of this. I put this up 13 years ago. Thomas Brooks was a wonderful Puritan pastor. Our sins are debts that none can pay but Christ. It is not our tears, but his blood. It is not our sighs, but his suffering that can testify for our sins. It is not our efforts. It is not our our emotions trying to do better the next day. But it is Christ and Him alone that deals with our sin. So there's a very interesting statement that follows next in Paul's passage here. He is the firstborn from among the dead. Very interesting statement. Now, let's begin, as we did with the other interesting statement earlier on, by saying what this is not. Jesus is not the first person to be raised from the dead. We know that. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Elijah, by the power of God, raised the widow's son from the dead. So how is Jesus the firstborn from among the dead. What does this mean? Now think about it. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, what did he later do? Yeah, he died. I mean, sorry, you're coming back for a little bit. Imagine how he felt walking out. Same with a guy who fell asleep in the book of Acts while Paul was preaching. Raised him from the dead, I mean... Kind of wish I could do that when people fall asleep on me, but but what did he do? He died. Why is this? Because even though there was a miraculous intervention at that moment in those people's lives in which the physical laws were suspended, they were called back to life. It did not solve their ultimate problem because they were still subject to death. They were raised from the dead only to die again. 
Jesus, on the other hand, was not subject to death. He wasn't subject to death before he died, and he certainly wasn't subject to death when he rose again and after he rose again. Death had no power over him. Through his death, through his resurrection, he conquered and defeated death itself. It is exactly what 1 Corinthians 15, that long 58 verse chapter, is all about. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 7. I'd like to point out this verse, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16, speaking of our wonderful Savior, there is a remarkable statement that is made about Christ. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16. I'll read verse 15, speaking of Christ. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who is a character from the book of Genesis who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. I'm telling you, when you read scripture, slow down. There is so much just right here. What is he saying about Jesus? Well, every Old Testament priest became a priest because of his lineage. That's just how it worked. Uh, Jesus, actually, that was not the case with him. He had an indestructible life. He laid it down. He claimed it back again. And the rest of the chapter shows, if, if, if you're still there, look at verse 25. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That word uttermost or to the most has a beautiful dual quality to it. It is the the depth of your sin, but the duration of your sin as well. He is able, he is capable, he is willing, and he will save the the deepest sinner that there is. Because his blood speaks a better word. But you're not on probation. It's called eternal life for a reason. He saves us to the uttermost through all eternity. It is so beautiful. But Jesus is not the one that was created from the dust of the ground as we were, but the one who came down from heaven. When we have put our faith in him alone, we will be like him. Eternal life, indestructible, because we are in him. My dear friend, This is the Savior whom we serve. Scripture says over and over and over again that we are the doulos, the slaves of Christ. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he has transferred us. Only God could do that. He has transferred us to the kingdom of the son that he loves. 
Jesus Christ. His list of accolades is unmatched. That is why Paul says of him in our text that in all things he must have the supremacy. That is why this series in Colossians is entitled The Preeminent or The Preeminent One. I'd like to call the men to come forward at this time. As we prepare to observe communion, but don't, don't close your Bible just yet. Well, you can close your Bible if you want. But my dear saint, have you become discouraged? Have you become distracted? Have you become distant in your heart from the Lord? Repent and come home. Remember your great Savior is above all and ready to take you in. To be distant from God's people is to be distant from Jesus. He is the head of the church. You cannot have one without the other. Dear soul, take heart. In all that you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his glory. When you worship, it is for him. When you clean the dishes, it is for him. When you earn your paycheck, it is for him. When you change diapers, it is for his glory. Do it well, not with a moan and a groan. In all areas of your life, give him the best. He is worthy of it. Amen? Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love towards us, for God so loved the world. Thank you for sending your dear Son, the Son whom you love, to suffer and die in our place. Thank you that we do not serve a dead historical figure. We serve the risen Lord. Thank you for rescuing us from the dominion of darkness. For transferring us into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we pray humbly that you would refresh and revive each and every one of us. In the richness and in the fullness of the gospel. As we consider these weeks the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would humble us. Strengthen us. Calibrate our thinking. And in every way to truly live for him who is our life. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. We desire this for anyone this morning or later in the sound, hear, hearing the sound of my voice. That if they have not yet turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, bowed the knee and put their, their faith and their confidence solely and completely in what Christ has done. By his death and his burial and resurrection. We pray by turning to Jesus in simple faith. 
with nothing to offer, nothing to give, no performance record, that they too would be born again and receive the gift of eternal life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.